fucking weird. Hey, y'all. What's up, Rebel1929? You guys are so scattered out there. What's up, y'all? What's up? Hey, I just want to say that I am honored to share with you guys tonight just to be here, have the opportunity to talk to you. And I just want to say that I don't think I could do this every week. So can we actually give it up for Brittany, your leader? She is incredible. She goes in on this every week just preparing what you guys need to hear and give her serious credit for that. Um, also, we've got Nick Carey in the house. Can we say what up? Guys, can I confess that I literally begged Nick not to be here? Like, begged him. But you're here. Yeah, and I'm cool with it. And then we've got Brandon Stifler in the house, who he's going to be bringing the word for you guys next week. Okay? Can we be excited about that? He literally is like my preaching coach because last night, was it last night? Yeah. We, I was at his house for like two hours with his remote as the mic, and I, you know, I just practiced with him, and you're great. And you know, I feel like everyone would say this, but my friends are the best friends. You know what I'm saying? Yep, you know, you know what I'm saying, okay? Um, so, gosh, a little bit about me. A little bit about me. Cool with that? Okay, so Brittany already said my name's Holly, if you don't know me. Um, I am all about shortening words, okay? It's true. And I feel that way about my own name, actually. If you call me Hall, I feel like we instantly vibe, okay? So if you, like, refer to me as Holly, which obviously that's my name, I'm going to be like, do I know you? But if you're like, yo, what's up, Hall? I'm like, what's up? Like, like we vibe. And so really, I do shorten almost every word that you can think of. I actually, a couple of weeks ago at house parties, made the mistake of shortening the word donkey. Jesus was riding in on his donk. Yeah, yeah. That was a serious regret. I will say that that was an instant regret, okay? Yep, that, and hey, P.S., house parties, if you don't go to a house party on a Thursday, like, what are you doing with your life? Can I just say that? For real. Uh, a little bit more about me. So I love banana lattes. Uh, if you ever, I know you're all thinking, wow, that sounds really good. That sounds really good. Um, get me a banana latte, please, please do that. Um, what else? I'm 27 years old. I am a full-time nanny. I've uh, been doing that like on and off since I graduated college, and I love it. It's so funny because the little girl that I watch, literally like twice a week, she'll be like, hey, Hall, and she gets it because we're close. She, says, she calls me Hall. Um, she's like, hey, Hall, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, <laughs> like, oh, this is actually what that looks like, Maddie. I'm an adult, so take it in, all right? I am grown up, okay? Um, no, actually, I have, like, a serious passion just for hospitality as a whole. So, like, events, weddings, restaurants, Airbnbs. I love the details, love the details. Um, I also just love serving in the local church. I've been here, like, in you know, different capacity for five years. Um, wouldn't want to be anywhere else on a Tuesday night than with you guys, really. Um, specifically, like, have a heart for just college age, young people. I think it's honestly just because I was really came to know the Lord and just starting to learn about faith whenever I was in college. So I just kind of have this feeling of, like, been there, probably done that, um, and just want to, like, do life with you guys love you, you know? So that's a little bit about me. 
Um, if you haven't been coming to Revel this semester, past couple weeks, it is so quiet in here, right? Is it always like this? Ah, it's so quiet! Why? Um, anyways, if you haven't been coming past couple weeks, we are doing um, a series called Storytime. And what that has been, we're literally, I'm going to tell you a story tonight, okay? And, and the past couple weeks, we've been just going through old books, um, just characters, learning about people in the Old Testament and saying, okay, how can they really point me and show me who Jesus is? And how can I look at the life of Ruth or um, last week, David? You know, how can we really just look at the Old Testament and we have this big old, like, it's so boring, I don't want to read that. Um, and how can we look and say, okay, there's Jesus in that story. There's Jesus. And, and I don't know about you guys if you have been coming, but it's personally really, like, stirred my faith a lot because... I just love getting to see, oh, hey, he's actually been there since the beginning. And that's been really cool, personally. So tonight, we're actually going to be learning, reading the story of Esther. And super pumped to share what God has put on my heart to take away from this story. Um, everyone say, own the moment. Oh. Yep, yep. We're going to get back to that a little bit. But first, would you guys pray with me, please? Jesus, we just love you, and we thank you for this night. We thank you that everyone in this room is here just to hear from you. And I just pray that hearts would be open to receive whatever it is that you have, God. I pray that you would just use me. Whatever I have going out of my mouth would actually be what you want to say. And I pray any nervousness that I have, God, would just go away right now. All right. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. We are, like, jumping on in. Okay, so like I said, we're really just, you know, it is so bright. Why? I hate it. Um, anyways, we're really just, like, I'm going to be telling you a story. So whatever you need to do in this moment, like, it's like, you know, just sit back. You need to close your eyes and envision what I'm talking about. But I really want to just, you know, paint the picture, set the scene of what's going on in the book of Esther. And so it really starts off with King Xerxes, and um, he's married to Queen Vasti. I probably butchered their names, and you know what? I'm okay with that. Tomato, tomato, right? Um, and so what we know about the king is he is proud. He is like, he's the king, so he's got all the goods. He's ready to flaunt what he's got, per se. Um, and something that I just want to let you guys know about their relationship is it's not like a relationship that you would think today, you know, husband and wife, king and queen. Like, things are kind of weird. Obviously, he's just, she obeys the king. You know what I'm saying? And um, so, so it kind of starts out saying that on the third year that he's reigning as king, um, he throws this elaborate party that is 180 days, okay? And all of the college students are like, yes, woo! And um, yeah, awesome, super crazy party where he's just kind of celebrating his wealth and um, just kind of flaunting it, you know what I'm saying? And so it says that day seven of the party, um, and then Queen Vasti, She's kind of over here doing her own thing. Like, he's with all the guys partying, drinking uh, copious amounts of wine, I envision. And Queen Vasti is over here. I'm, I'm like envisioning having a little pampering party with her girls, okay? 
And it says on the seventh day that he was in high spirits from wine. <laughs> All the college students again were like, woo! Just kidding, not you guys. Um, and so he tells his men that were serving him to bring him the queen wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people for she was lovely to look at. And so basically he's telling these guys to go over and get the queen and tell her come over and basically parade around the guys. They're all um, what, how was it worded? High spirits from wine and, and just show her beauty, okay? And so that's kind of weird, right? That's like scandalous. Why? And uh, so the queen does something really bold. She says no. And that's like, oh, did she just say that? Like, that's how, that's how I feel. I mean, at the same time, I'm like, ooh, good for you, girl, you know? But she just disobeyed the king, and that's, like, very, very big deal, okay? Like, yes, it's her husband, you know, whatever, but mind you, they don't have the relationship that we're thinking of, like, husband and wife. Like, she can't be like, hey, babe, play with my hair, you know? I like when people play with my hair. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, like, she listens to the king, you know what I mean? And so she says no. King is not happy about it, and he's like, Oh, so he goes to his like higher authorities. He's like, what do we do about this? And they're like, girl, bye. Like, you got to go. And so that's the last that we hear about her. She's gone. Okay. And so this is whenever we get to learn a little bit about Esther and love her. She is introduced with Mordecai, who is her older cousin. He, what we know about her is she's a young Jewish girl, obviously a, you know, beautiful young virgin. Oh, I totally forgot to say that part. So the queen is all, you know, she's out of the picture, and they end up sending out a search that's like, hey, we need to find the king a new queen. Let, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. And so this is when we, you know, meet Esther, we meet Mordecai. Everybody say Mordecai. Yes. For some reason, I love the name Mordecai. I'm like, all week, I've just been like, Mordecai. <laughs> I love him. Um, so anyways, Mordecai is her older cousin that raised, raised Esther. And, you know, her parents are out of the picture. She's a beautiful young Jewish girl. And whenever this search is made, Mordecai is basically like, hey, you should be the queen. Like, we need to get you there. And picture this, like, we already know that she's going to be the queen, so and I'll tell you about that in a minute, but picture this like a rags-to-riches kind of situation. Like, this is, you know, Esther, young, beautiful girl that's being raised um, by her cousin, and now she's going to be the queen, okay? Talk about started from the bottom, now we here, right? Well, kind of, I guess. Um, and so Mordecai and her go to the palace. She goes, and it's basically like a bunch of young, beautiful virgins. And they're almost, I picture it like a weird version of The Bachelor, like, um, like Game of Thrones version, kind of, okay? And so they have to go through all of this different, like, beauty, pampering, blah, blah, blah. And it does say that Esther actually took favor with the king right off the bat. Like, she, you know, he delighted in her beauty um, and won his favor and also won the favor of the people. And so keep in mind at this time that, like, 
it's not known that Esther's a Jew, okay? Like, this would be no good. Mordecai's like, this is forbidden. Do not tell anyone, okay? And so just to, so she becomes queen, and she's kind of living in her own area of the palace. He's doing his thing. Um, and Mordecai is still, I mean, they still continue this day-to-day relationship. Like, um, he'll be outside. It says that he, and when I say it, I'm obviously referring to the Bible, okay? Everyone catch that? Yeah, I'm going to say it a lot. I can tell. Um, so it says that Mordecai, like, goes, you know, back and forth, checking in on Esther every day and just seeing how she's doing. And they just have a really, like, behind-the-scenes close relationship because he raised her. He's basically like her dad. Um, and so, like, they're so close that even one day Mordecai is outside the gates and he hears... Um, these two guards at the gate, guards for the king, like, discussing, they're, like, plotting to kill the king. And um, Mordecai's like, ooh, that's not good. So he goes, and he tells Esther, and she tells the king, and the, the guards are killed, and all of that. Mordecai takes no credit for that. Um, and so then we're introduced to one more character, okay? Are you guys following, following the story? Cool. Um, so we're introduced to Haman, and he kind of steps in whenever the guards are gone, and he becomes like the right hand of the king. And so basically, he, like, whatever he wants to happen, the king's like, yeah, whatever you please, you know, I'll sign off on it and do it. And so everyone kind of has to bow down to Haman. He's, like, new, and and people have to show him respect, obviously, and honor. And there's one person that's not having it, and it's Mordecai. He's like, nah, I'm not going to, like, bend my knee to you. And um, Haman is very upset about this, okay? He's, He's like, basically, I want him to die, and I want all of his people to die as well. And so he goes to the king, and he... Um, it says that he looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom. And the king is all right with it. He signs off. He's like, that's fine. And um, they send out a decree to all of the people just saying, like, hey, the Jewish people are about to die. I mean, I don't really know what it said, but essentially that's the point. And um, And so obviously Mordecai, he's like... He's devastated. All of the Jewish people are like, oh, shoot, that just happened. And so Mordecai, it says that he goes outside of the gates, and he is essentially just, like, wailing, like, I'm not sure what's going on there, Carson. (laughs) Um, He's wailing, and Mordecai is just so upset, and it says that he's fasting and weeping and, and just, like, losing his mind because his people are about to die. And Esther, she catches wind of what's going on with Mordecai. And she's obviously distraught, too, because this is her dude, right? And so she sends her. She has, like, attendants, servants. And so picture their relationship, uh, though they're very close. It's kind of like they have a messenger because her servant will go and tell Mordecai and then come back to Esther and so on. And so she sends her servants to out to see Mordecai and and, there, and he explains everything to the servants. Like, this is what's happening. You need to tell Esther that um, she needs to go to the king and plead to save the Jewish people and save her people. And um, 
So this is kind of, I want to give you a little bit of scripture. It's going to be Esther 4.11. So this is just to give you the conversation um, that's going on between Esther and Mordecai at this time, okay? Uh, So this is her response to Mordecai. She says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So she's saying this to Mordecai once again, remember that their relationship isn't like what you would think, you know, king and queen are. So she's basically saying, like, I can't go to him. Like, you know, I'm yikes. And so um, goes on to say in Esther 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Okay, and we can go on to the next one too. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So basically, just to paint a picture, she's like... Oh, and also just be reminded that, like, the king does not know that Esther is a Jew. Nobody knows this yet, okay? And basically she's saying, like, I'm willing to do this, but I realize what the consequences are. That, you know, obviously this is not what you do. You don't go make requests to the king, um, but I'm willing to do it. And so let me just go a little bit further here. So just to kind of summarize the rest of this story, Esther goes to the king, and it basically says that she had immediate favor with him. I mean, once again, like, he loves Esther, so we're good. And he sticks out his gold scepter and is like, what do you want? I'll give you all of it, basically. And she's like, well, I actually want to plan and host a banquet for you and Haman. You guys remember Haman. He's the new right hand of the king and honestly not very cool guy. Um, But so the king says yes. And as they're preparing for the banquet, um, funny little note, side note, I guess, not really. But the king is going through like some records that night. And I just picture it like reports of what's been going on or whatever. And he reads that Mordecai was actually the one, the reason that those two guards were, were caught for plotting to kill him because he, he didn't know that before. And so he realizes, what is, hey. <laughs> um, and so 
So this is a big deal because he's like, oh my gosh, I need to honor Mordecai. Like, how am I going to do this? And so he goes to Haman and he's like, how would you honor someone? You know, blah, blah, blah. And Haman thinks that it's about him. Okay. Haman's all like, and I'm laughing at this point because I know how it ends. And I'm really like, ha ha, Haman. But so Haman, mind you, in the middle of this is, is in the middle of, figuring out how to kill off the Jewish people and how to kill off Mordecai. And so he asks Haman how to honor someone and blah, blah, blah. And then they, they go to this banquet and they're sitting down. This is the king. This is your girl Esther. And this is Haman. And the king's like, what else do you need? What else do you want? Whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. And Queen Esther's like, well, I would love for you to spare my people, um, spare the Jewish people. And he's actually angered because he's like, well, who, who signed off to do this? And, and she's like, um, well, it's, he's sitting right here, and his name is Haman. And so the king is, like, pretty upset with that. Just to kind of reel that in, he ends up killing Haman, um, it's funny because he's killed where Mordecai was supposed to be killed. And then Mordecai gets completely honored by the king. I, I mean, he is treated like, yay, thank you, Mordecai. Like, he really gets, gets what he deserves, I guess I would say. And then Esther, um, my gosh, she is also honored for making that decision and moving forward with that. And lo and behold... They end up writing out a new decree, send it out to the people, and all of the Jewish people are saved. And this is the best part of the story because this was the outcome that they were looking for, right? And something that I don't know if you realized at all, but not once throughout me sharing the story of Esther have I mentioned God. Have I mentioned anything about God? I haven't referenced him um, there's been nothing about him. And that's actually what's really unique about the story of Esther in itself is this is the only book in the Bible that doesn't talk about God, not once. And while that's really unique and I want to be like, wow, that is like, this book is different than every other book in the Bible. And so, but what's really cool to notice is even though God isn't mentioned throughout this book, it's so evident that he's involved with what's going on, right? It's so evident that he's in the midst of what's been going on and, and saving the Jewish people and also just for, for Esther to have the courage and the faith to know that, you know what, I'm going to risk my life for the people that I love and for my people. And so it's evident that God was in the, was, is, is in the midst of the story. And so something that I think we need to learn from this story um, is that whatever you're walking through right now, whatever situation seems as though God is nowhere to be found, he's distant, he's not involved, he's not there, I think this story is just a representation to know that he is actually with you. Whatever you're walking through, God is with you. And it might seem like he's silent, it might seem like he's not there, but he's really just behind the scenes. We're not gonna really understand fully what God's doing all the time anyways. And so when it doesn't seem like he's there, he's in the midst of that. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to hold on to and to take from the story because 
I mean, I'll speak for myself. It can become like a cliche Christian thing to say, like, oh, God is with you. He's always with you. He's on your side. But like, the reality of that is, is as someone who, who has put my faith in Jesus, that is something that I stand on. That when I'm walking through things, when I'm going through something that's difficult and God feels distant, I need to accept and know and trust and believe that he is with me in that. And so I just want to encourage all of you guys, like whatever you're walking through, God is with you. And he might seem distant, but he's not. He's in the behind the scenes. He's absolutely there all the time, always. Um, something else that's really awesome about this story is just, I am so thirsty. Can I just tell you guys that? I'm like about to get serious and I'm like, I think I've caught him out. Just kidding, I don't. Um, so also something that's really awesome about this story is just to see Jesus in it, right? It's to see the similarities with Esther and Jesus. So, so we look at Esther and we look at her life, and what did she do? She literally risked her life, put everything, you know, knowing what the consequences could be to ultimately save her people. And, you know, the key scripture that everyone knows from the book of Esther is 4 or 14, is it like, this is the time for which you were created for. And ultimately, I mean, that was the time for which Esther was created for. Like, she saved the Jewish people. And that's amazing. But there's such a similarity with Jesus because what does he do? He ultimately has a time as well. You can read so many times in the book of John, Jesus is saying, and we're reading it in house parties right now, so this should relate to some of you guys. But he says so many times, like, my hour has yet to come. My time has not come yet. And he says that over and over again. But it's leading up to a moment. It's ultimately leading up to Jesus' moment, which is what? It's him being crucified on a cross for the sins of the world, okay? And so ultimately Jesus has this moment just like Esther did. And that's huge. That's huge to just see the correlations of that. But I think that it's sad because oftentimes we get stuck in this, this thought process of, our lives are all, we're going to have this big moment like Esther did, right? We're going to have this big moment that's going to reveal to us our purpose. We're, this is going to happen and everything's going to make sense and this is why I was made to live. And, and I don't know what that is for you if you're thinking, if you're waiting for a moment, like it might be, you know, I'm going to graduate college and get this dream job and then it's all going to make sense. My life is going to be great. This is why I was created. And honestly, I'm speaking to myself too because for so long I lived in this when I have a family when I have kids everything's going to be per perfect this is you know going to reveal my purpose but I think that we miss out on so much when we live with that mindset that we're waiting for our purpose to be revealed because ultimately if we really look at it and I want our perspective to shift a little bit tonight and realize that Jesus's moment on the cross is actually our moment okay it already happened and so that's for us to walk in every single day, today, tomorrow, next year, next month. Jesus' moment is your moment. Okay, your life doesn't have to come down to one key thing that's like, this is going to define me. Because that already happened when Jesus died for you on the cross, right? 
right? And so I just really want to give everyone an opportunity to respond to that in the room tonight. So if you guys could just close your eyes, bow your heads, just for a moment of privacy with Jesus, time with him right now. And I do want to pray for two groups of people. The first group I want to pray for is just anyone in the room where you're like, hey, I've never actually realized that Jesus's moment was my moment. I've never actually realized that when Jesus died on the cross that it was for me, that it was for my sin, that it was for everything that I've done, that he's forgiven me of that. And you want to walk into a relationship with him. Tonight might be your moment to realize that his moment was just, in fact, your moment. And so if that's you in the room tonight, I want to ask you to do something a little bit bold. Just like Esther acted out in boldness, I want you to act out by just simply raising your hand. And, and what that does is it's, it has literally nothing to do with raising your hand. It's actually all about what's going on in your heart. Right now in this moment, Jesus might be just pressing on to you that you need to trust him and that this is your time to confess to him that you believe that he died for you, that you want to walk in what he has for you and the fullness that he has for you. And so I am going to ask you to do something bold. I'm going to count to three, and no one's looking around, but it's really just you raising your hand is just you kind of having a public, like, this is my moment, and you can look back on April 2nd, 2019, and be like, wow, I really made that decision. And so if that's you, I'm just going to count to three, slip your hand up in the air. It's also just for me to know who I'm praying for, okay? So one, you will never regret this decision to own this moment. Three, just slip your hand in the air if that's you. Awesome. Yay, awesome. Well, I'm just going to pray with you. Jesus, we love you. We just thank you for every person in this room, um, that they're not here by accident. I just pray for anyone that has just made the decision to to really own your moment and to say yes to who you are, God. I just thank you that right now you're filling them with your Holy Spirit and just, um, just joy and everything that comes from you, Lord. And... We just love you so much, and thank you for this opportunity that we get to do that and that we get to be a part of people's journey and people's moments, God. We love you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Yes, and will you give that, give a little uh, round of a woo-woo for anyone that raised their hand? I didn't know how to word that. If that's you, talk to someone on the team. Get a Bible. We just want to celebrate with you. And then also just close your eyes one other, you know, for another second. I'm going to pray for another group of people. Um, I just want to pray for anyone that feels maybe like they have a situation that they feel that God has been distant or they feel maybe that they're walking through something right now and you genuinely feel like you just need to be reminded that God is with you, that he is walking through whatever you're going through. And you just need that reassurance tonight. If that's you, will you just raise your hand? Cool. Not cool, but cool. I'm raising my hand with you guys. Okay, I'm going to just pray. God, we just thank you again for everyone that's in the room. I just pray that anyone that has raised their hand, Lord, that that you would just be giving them a realization of your nearness, of your presence, of your constantness, God. I just pray that you would be in whatever situation they're in right now, God, and even though they might not see you, God, that they would leave this room tonight feeling full of faith that you're in it with them and just trusting that they're going to get to the other side of it, God. 
And we just love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Woo! That's all that I have for you guys. We're going to do connect group.